Welcome back to the Plugin for More podcast. I'm Tom. We're here with you today with a pretty interesting episode. Uh, Mike had an opportunity to sit down with John DeMaio, who's the CEO of Graphics Technologies. Graphics Technologies is focused on the development of technologies and products that ultimately enhance renewable energy, uh, specifically the production of spherical graphite and graphene, which is a key component in lithium-ion batteries that we find in electric vehicles as well as other electric mobility devices. This episode is a little bit different in that we are diving way more into the specifics and the mechanics of what is actually going on inside of an EV battery and the exciting developments that are in the near future that we're going to see come to fruition very soon. But first, before we jump into that, I just have to talk about the Mustang Mach-E. I've been in the car for just over a month now, and I want to talk a little bit about my experience with it. There's a lot of parts of the car that I had anticipated, that I had planned for, that I had educated myself on, and, and all of those things have come as not a surprise. Uh, the car is fast. The car is quiet. I'm saving a ton of money on fuel that now is electricity to the tune of my normal driving was about $400 a month in, in fuel for the vehicle I had prior to now I'm spending about $50 per month in electricity. It's it's significant. The one thing that I didn't anticipate though is how effortless the car was going to be to drive. And and really the the way to put it is that it really highlights how harsh a gas vehicle is to drive. Um, with a gas vehicle with an inconsistent power band from the gas engine to the shifting of the transmission to having to get off of the accelerator and onto the brake. All of these little things are added stressors to the driving environment that I just had never considered. I, I would equate it to having lived in a city environment for a period of time and then moving out into a country setting where you have quiet around you and you had become so accustomed to the hustle and the bustle and the horn honking and engines revving of a city environment that when you're in the country and you take a deep breath and you just take it in, you didn't realize how much those other little things were causing stress to your body. Now, I kind of feel the same way driving the Mach-E. I might feel better if I wasn't always on the accelerator to 100% to testing out that 0 to 60, but that that's part of the fun too. Um, so for those of you still on the fence, those of you that are anticipating your first EV, just consider that there's going to be things that you're going to experience with an EV that you didn't plan for, and it's going to be pretty cool when you do. And it doesn't matter how much research you've done, because I've done a lot, it, it, there's something that's going to surprise you. Um, so here is Mike in his interview with John DeMaio. Uh, enjoy the show. It's an interesting one. Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EV Universe is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. John, welcome to the Plug-In for More podcast. Today, um, we're going to talk about graphite and battery technology and that is your industry so can you kind of give us an overview of what your company does and what you guys have been doing for the last uh x number of years since you've been in business yeah you bet so i appreciate that mike and it's good to be with you so let's start first with the real quick anatomy of a typical battery mostly 
you know, we'll talk about lithium ion batteries and primarily how they're used in battery energy storage and really primarily in electric vehicles. So in a typical battery, you have a cathode, an electrode, an electrolyte, and separator. Uh, graphite plays the key role on the anode side of the battery, basically the negative electrode. Now, where a lot of the press and, and you know, uh, interest has been around the, uh, the more marquee elements, lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, those are all related to the cathode side of the battery. In most configurations, the anode side is 95 to 99% graphite. Uh, the other, you know, one to 5% being maybe silicon or lithium, titanium oxide, et cetera. So graphite as a part of a battery system uh, makes up about fit, almost 50% of, of a battery cell. And when taken on whole in like a, a, a Tesla, for example, if the battery weighs 400 pounds, there's about 150 pounds of graphite in it. So graphite is the largest component by weight in these battery energy storage systems and these you know, um, electric vehicle batteries. It doesn't get a lot of press, it just kind of quietly does its job. Um, it is really the universal you know, anode material, as I mentioned. Okay, so that kind of gives you a little bit of background on why we're even talking about graphite. What we do is process the graphite. We call it the midstream. So we do not perform the mining and we, op we operate in the natural graphite arena. And we may talk about synthetic you know, as we move forward here. But in the world of natural graphite, it's mined you know, from the ground as an ore. It is then processed into what's used as we call it battery anode material. Graphex, my company, does that midstream. So we don't do mining and we don't make batteries, but we refine the graphite from its basically its raw form into its highest and best use, which in technical terms is called coated purified spherical graphite. So that's that's what we do, and we've been doing it, you know, for over a decade, um, which makes us one of the more experienced. We're in the, basically the top ten uh, in the world as far as volume producers go of of graphite, you know, processing. And you know we produce about 10,000 metric tons per year right now, and we are expanding that capability both in Asia, where let's face it, the electric vehicle market is 15, 20 years ahead of the rest of the world, but we're also expanding into the U.S., North America, and then ultimately uh, Europe and uh, possibly the Middle East. So you know we are on the same kind of growth trajectory as a company as the industry is in the proliferation of electric vehicles and battery energy storage. Our listeners typically are people who are getting into EVs for the first time. So mm -hmm. they're you know sort of newbies and they're, they're learning about the battery technology and how that works. And for me, I always like history. So if we're talking about the history of you know these uh, lithium ion batteries, I go back to my experience because I've got one of the original Tesla Roadsters. I love that car. Um, wow. And it's it's been you know something that, um, you know, I, I've loved for a long, long time. But, you know, can you kind of walk us through, since you've been in the industry for, you know, 10 years, how is the industry, I guess, when you first got into it, how has it changed to where it is today? Yeah. So, you know, and I can't claim to, to be the 10-year veteran. I mean, the company has been operational, you know, commercially for the last 10. Um, I've only joined it within the last two. But 
I've been in the energy space for well over 25. So I've, I've seen a lot of, of fits and starts around um, this, what's now called the energy transition. I was in it before they even coined that expression. So I've been in solar, I've been in energy efficiency, I've been in, you know, reduce, produce, procure, meaning, you know, on-site generation, whether it's solar or cogen, et cetera. So I've seen a lot of, of trends, if you will, and a lot of efforts to, you know, move away from, from fossil fuels, which I personally, you know, believe in greatly. Lithium-ion batteries really came into existence, I think, during the, the gas crunch of in the 70s, right? And, you know, it, it's been perfected, we'll call it, or refined, you know, for the last 50 years, basically. So what we're seeing today is really, you know, the most advanced kind of configurations. And I will say that there is still a tremendous amount of R&D going on. And I'm thinking specifically about the electric vehicle arena, because there are many configurations, many different chemistries uh, of the battery technology. There's different chemical configurations, uh, meaning different configurations of the, those elements I mentioned, lithium, you know, cobalt, manganese, et cetera. And there's also different configurations of physical form factors. So you've got cylindrical, the classic, you know, flashlight battery looking thing. But then you've got prismatic, which are more or less rectangular. Um, and then uh, pouches, right, more of a soft sided. So there's a lot of, of um, uh, like everything in life, really. But with battery technology, there are, there are trade-offs, right? Um, and that's why certain companies pick certain configurations. The holy grail which I think everyone agrees on, particularly with respect, again, to electric vehicles, is the holy grail is the quick charging and long lasting, right? So charge real fast, just like filling up a gas tank, um, and then long range, you know, multiple uh, cycle life, et cetera. And in pursuit of that holy grail, there's a tremendous amount of, of research, both on material science, battery configuration, um, battery uh, management systems, right? So the electronics that sit on top of the battery, et cetera. So there's just a, a tremendous amount of effort, you know, being spent, similar to what went on with internal combustion. If you think about it over the last hundred years, there's just been refinement after refinement, all about extracting, you know, in the, in the case of ICE, you know, more power from the same you know, gallon of gas uh, to get better mileage, et cetera. Similarly, you know, the electric vehicle technologies, including battery, are all undergoing that same kind of, uh, of optimization and, you know, always seeking to be better. So with that, I mean, what from what you've seen from the, you know, the early days, let's say, you know, when the EVs first came out, you know, the Nissan Leaf, Tesla Roadster time frame to today. I mean, obviously, there's been improvement in that sector, right? I guess when I when I look at it, it's been a incremental improvement. It hasn't been this massive change. It hasn't been like solid state batteries or something to that effect. For the people who are getting into EVs now, what do you, would you say they can expect in the next three to five years as far as the improvement in battery technology? That's a great question. And I think it's, um, you know, it, there's always a personal factor, right? Because, you, you know, you can wait forever. I'll give you a, and I'm not saying this is a, a, a parallel per se, but you know, I was in solar 15 years ago, let's say. And, you know, if you know solar panel efficiency, I'm talking about photovoltaic now, you know, it's always been around 19 to 23%, right? And at the time, there was some resistance, some reluctance from our customer base, you know, et cetera, to say, well, do I want to 
get involved. Now, what if, you know, the next generation of panels is 50% efficient or 75% efficient because there's breakthroughs. And, you know, if you roll forward now to now, efficiencies are still 15, you know, uh, sorry, 19 to 23, maybe pushing 25%. They haven't made that quantum leap. You know, there are physical limitations. Um, literally, the physics can sometimes be limited. Again, not saying that's the same in, in battery tech, but I don't, you know, like you said, over the last several decades, there's been incremental Im improvements. Um, no radical swings, no unobtainium has come into the, you know, um, you know, transparent aluminum or something, you know, radical to, to change, um, you know, what's been physically limited. What's been improved is safety, again, range performance, et cetera. You've got you've got the the, uh, the roadster. Congrats! I mean, those were hard to come by. Um, I'm sure you're still happy with it, right? You know what? What more could you want from it? Maybe better range. You know, I don't know. So those are the things that people are working on. Um, but again, talking about uh, folks pulling the trigger in the industry, you know, the concern is range anxiety, right? People are like, what if it runs out of juice? I'm going to get stuck. You know, similar to running out of gas, I guess. Maybe not as easy to to charge right now but point being is how do people really use their vehicles you know in most cases they don't drive that far right um and if they do they have to plan just like they would you know for um for gas tank. i would say the infrastructure side of things needs to catch up meaning more charging stations more service stations that are geared towards electric vehicles that will will come but as far as the technology goes i don't know if we'll see radical um, you know, improvements that would really warrant waiting, you know, because you'll, you'll wait forever is the danger, I think, in that, in that thinking. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. One of the other things that people get into a lot with these batteries is, um, and, and cars in general is how fast they're going to charge. I mean, there is the range, the range anxiety. That is a huge thing. I think for a lot of owners, myself included, once you hit that kind of 270 to 300 mile range, that's pretty much enough. My bladder personally can't hold much past <laughs> that when I'm driving um, or, or my family members, but when you do stop, if you have a car that can charge a lot faster and you can get back yeah. on the road quicker, that is kind of that goes back to the infrastructure piece. Um, and I think those are tied very, very closely together. What do you what what, what are you seeing in that regard um, from, you know, obviously what you guys are doing with with, uh, with graphite and then also the battery, battery technology? Yeah. So on the on the infrastructure side, you know, there there are. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not dialed into that extremely tightly, but obviously it's, you know, it's part of my, my ecosystem. So I do see more activity, you know, from, from companies that are, that are uh, proliferating installations of charging stations, for example. Part of what we're focused on is, is the big push for domestication of the infrastructure and the supply chain. And that's a, that's a real critical piece for, for the industry. It, affects the cost, right? It affects the availability, right? Supply chain interruptions that we've experienced since COVID and maybe even before, you know, so we're, we're focused a lot on uh, bringing 
the know-how that we've accumulated over the last decade, uh, which is substantial. Um, and I always say that what we do in that midstream refiner, refining of graphite, it's part art and part science, right? We're talking about microscopic particles that are, you know, um, configured and, and produced to pretty exacting specifications. It can be done more uh, readily in a lab setting or in a pilot size setting. But when you're trying to run continuous operations to support the demand that's re reflected, you know, by these uh, projected numbers of vehicles, now you're talking about having to produce massive quantities of not only graphite, but all the other elements uh, so that those can be produced, you know, domestically. And, um, you know, so we're, uh, we're seeing a definite um, disparity between supply and demand of, in our case, critical minerals, but also, you know, the infrastructure required to support the proliferation. So we're doing our part, you know, to, to be a player, a support player in that, you know, critical mineral supply chain. And there are other companies, I think, that are stepping in to the other parts of the infrastructure, namely the charging, you know, primarily. So, you know, when you really think about it on a macro level, the way that, the, let's say the U.S. is going about this this uh, domestication, they really we've really started with the the uh, the end use, right? So the, the the battery gigafactories are really the things that have been announced that you know GM, Ford, all these other companies have announced that they're they're going to move forward. That's really you know short of going into the vehicle itself. That's kind of the end game, let's say for critical minerals and whatnot. And then we're, we're backfilling from there. So if you think about that, you got the, uh, the end use. Now we're, we're looking, and in, in, in the case of graphics, we're looking at it, it building you know, physical plants to do the final processing before it goes into those plants. Then we're looking at building the, the preliminary processing. And then of course, the industry is looking at where we're gonna get the raw materials to as much as we can domesticate if those minerals actually exist in the states or to be friend-shored or onshored or near-shored as the terminology goes, you know, from countries that are part of the free trade agreement and basically not in areas of either geopolitical concern or geographically, you know, undesirable, et cetera. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think for for the uninundated people in the EV yeah. space and um, people who haven't learned all about the, the requirements for, um, let's, let's say, the tax credit. And if you don't mind taking the lead on this one, walking through uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and how that um, impacts the you know your industry specifically um, when you talk about domestication of these of these batteries. Yeah. No, it's big. It's a big step forward. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go back because of my experience base. You know, I've seen a lot of, of um, efforts to, you know, to uh, promote, again, this, this uh, electrification, you know, kind of movement. Um, when I was in solar, there were a lot of incentive or, or programs that were rolled out, you know, um, uh, to promote, right, either a city going, you know, 50% solar by a certain date, et cetera. So we saw a lot of, of uh, um maybe aggressive, maybe overly aggressive kind of announcements about intention. And a lot of those kind of fell flat because there was not a, a follow through in either, you know, political movement, you know, regulatory changes, incentives, whatever the case may be. 
when it comes to the electrification of mobility, you know, and again, looking back at 25 plus years of, of different fits and starts of these things, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface by saying I was in solar when the Solyndra deal went down, right? $600 million loan guarantee for, you know, a technology that anybody that was in the industry knew was kind of a non-starter at the time. We're not seeing that same kind of ready, fire, aim mentality. What we, what I've seen in, in the electrification, particularly against, again, mobility, the motivation or the intention became, you know, legislation, right? Like things like the IRA and the bipartisan infrastructure law, et cetera. That legislation has resulted in funding, right? And the funding is making its way into the industry um, in terms of BIL uh, loans and grants or DOE grants and the infrastructure, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, incentives that are tied to a push for domestication. Is it perfect? Never is. The intention is correct. The intended um, motivation is to promote industry, companies like mine, to um, domesticate the actual midstream production, right? Uh, like I said, the, the battery factories are, are being built or planning to be built. Now we need the other pieces of that supply chain. And the Inflation Reduction Act is an effort to incentivize that. Um, again, is it perfect? Maybe not. And it might be overly aggressive in its, in its time um, uh, milestones. But I think there will be, you know, um, a, an adjustment perhaps um, to match what the industry can do. It's not, you know, th there can be some disconnect sometimes between, again, the, the desire to say mine here in the U.S. For, for all of the different critical minerals, but the regulatory environment has to also adjust as well. Um, you know, there's a reason why most of the mining in the world is done elsewhere, right? Um, it takes a long time. It's highly capital intensive, et cetera. Similarly for midstream production, there's a lot of capital expenditure required and it, it, companies, you know, have to um, uh, maintain a profitability level to stay in existence. So, you know, can the, the, uh, the industry keep up with the intention of these, these regulations? That I think will, will remain to be seen. But what I do see is more of a collaborative environment um, between, I think the, the legislators are actually listening to industry um, and industry is working with legislators and industry is working together to, you know, kind of shift the paradigm of, of how materials for electric vehicles or for vehicles are, you know, sourced, uh, produced, and then procured. It's not the siloed approach of the past where, Automakers put out a specification. Industry scrambled around to to meet that specification and you know and, and be selected. Now, because there are shortages of materials and the sourcing is important as to where it comes from, the automakers, processors like us, the raw material suppliers are all in you know multiple um, conversations together. Um, which is a, a really good sign. So that I've never seen that before. So I think all those things combined 
are are pushing us in in the right direction. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I guess one of the other things that um, I'm very curious about is with your with your industry and what came out with the Inflation Reduction Act. What kind of pivoting did you have to do um, along the way? Um, obviously, when things start, you hear whispers, and you know legislation keeps going back and forth. Um, you know how did how did you, from as as the CEO of your company, make the decisions to do what you did to be ready for these um, requirements for the domestication of these you know of these materials? Yeah, that's a great question, and you know I I won't I won't um, claim to be you know be either clairvoyant or, or too much of a genius, but we, we were already in process in the domestication effort before the, the real momentum kicked in. So we had announced, for example, our plant, our proposed plant in Michigan back in, I think, February of, of 22. And it wasn't, you know, but for several months after that, that, you know, the real kind of push to, you know, to uh, separate, if you will, as much as we could from, you know, in particular China, but from other, you know, geopolitically um, challenging areas. But we were already in, in process more from a just, again, to move in the same direction as the industry. Right. So we had a very you know, well-established ecosystem for ourselves in, in China. Right. So we have operations over there. We're not a Chinese company, by the way. That's a very important distinction to make. Because that gives us the flexibility to, you know, uh, come to the United States without restriction, without any ties to, you know, the, uh, the government, you know, over there. So we have that flexibility. I call it the ability plus agility, right? So we have the uh, the knowledge base that was born and raised in the environment that that created, you know, electric vehicle technologies and supply chain, and now we're we, we're bringing that. You know, to the U.S., we thought, you know, we continue to believe that's a very good thing, not just from a commercial perspective for us, but think about it. You know, we're bringing technology from Asia into the U.S. It's not like we're bringing it back; we're bringing it here, really, for the first time because you know it, it wasn't proliferated here. So we're bringing technology into the U.S. We're bringing, you know, jobs back, um, uh, and we're we're moving in a direction of, of progress. So we had already committed to doing that, you know, before the BIL, the IRA, and all these different um, legislative moves. So we're, we're, we welcome those, um, those activities because it, it fits right in with what we were already doing and are supportive of that. Um, so it, it, it makes perfect sense. That that's great. So um, when we're looking at, let's say, you know, your Michigan plant, right? And I'm from Michigan, so that's near and dear mm -hmm. to my heart. Um, let's talk about that. Where in Michigan is this plant? Um, you know, I guess how many jobs do you think it? You know, you guys are people you're going to employ there. Um, any details you're you're willing to share with us? Absolutely, yeah. So we we announced it. It's in Warren. Um, you know, we did some searching. Uh, we had kind of a blank canvas, right? Like a lot of uh, companies that are, you know, um, moving here, let's say. And, you know, there was a lot of activity, obviously, if you read, you know, if you follow EV, and I know you do, 
a lot of activity down in the south, the you know, Tennessee Valley area, the southeast, uh, some in the southwest. Yeah, and lately you've also seen a pickup in Michigan. Um, we looked at sites. You know, we we were drawn toward the Detroit area because birthplace of automotive, right? And the more we looked, you know, we happened to be um, introduced to a property in Warren that had been in the automotive uh, industry ecosystem previously. In the 60s, I think it was a, like an undercoating facility that supported Chrysler. Had been sitting defunct or, you know, abandoned for decades. And some local Michiganders purchased the property and started to rehab it, um, you know, for semi-industrial use. I think there's some, some cannabis operations in there. And they, they took the site, they did the brownfield remediation, they started to rehab the buildings and start to fill, fill, fill them up with, with tenants. And very importantly, they brought in a 15 megawatt substation for the property specific. It took them a couple of years, they spent millions of dollars doing it. So we got introduced to the property and it fit kind of the bill, right? We had the high bay area that we need, um, it has power available, which we definitely need, and it was located in in you know automotive territory. On further investigation, it's in the city of Warren. You know, Warren has seen a lot of exodus of automotive jobs, so it was a very welcoming environment. You know, from from the local you know government, from the economic development side, etc. So it felt very warm and welcoming, and you know, it it represented a relatively quick path to operation. By virtue of the fact that the buildings are there, the remediation has been done, power is available. So we settled on on that site, um, you know, like I said, back in, in February. And as a result of working with the local group that was rehabbing the building, they became so interested in what we were doing that they became our joint venture partner. And they will be providing the capital to build that out. So we're very excited about that. You know, local Michiganders trying to turn you know part of the physical infrastructure around. We'd bring about a hundred jobs to answer your question. You know, for this particular plant, and then you know beyond that, um, that plant represents about fifteen thousand tons of finished product. If you look at the landscape of demand for just North America, in, over the next five years, it could be in the neighborhood of. 500,000 tons of graphite required. So this plant at 15,000, it's good for now, um, but we're looking at other potential areas, including in Michigan, where we can plant, for lack of a better term, larger facilities to support that, that demand. And that would result in much more you know, uh, economic development, more jobs, you know, et cetera. Again, it's the electrification of mobility movement, and it's a movement. I mean, we're not, it's only going in one direction. What I think we all have to keep in perspective is we are trying to do two massive things at once. And I say we, society. We're trying to replace 100 plus years of internal combustion technology and infrastructure with electric. We're trying to do it very quickly. At the same time, we're trying to domesticate the entire supply chain. Huge effort, right? And where the shameless plug comes in is if you're trying to do that, I 
think from my engineering background, just from a practical perspective, if you're trying to do that, the best way to do it is to get experienced players in all of the different positions and have them plug and play. And that's what we represent. You know, I, I liken it to if, if you're going to do an expansion team, right, and you want to compete, you can't just, you know, bring in all rookies that you're bringing up from the farm system and from college, whatever. You, If you're trying to compete out of the gate, you bring in experienced players that know how to play together, that know, you know, how to play against the, the competition, et cetera. That's what we represent. I think, you know, there's a place for new and upcoming technologies, but for the, for the foreseeable future, you need some, we'll call it, you know, foundational players, guys and gals that are bringing the picks and shovels to this gold rush. And that's what we are. And that's what graphite is. So we're really comfortable and, and happy with the role that graphite plays and with the role that we play as a producer of it. And we think that more companies like us, you know, will make this electrification happen faster and be more um, uh, credible, if you will, to, to the average you know, person that's, that's not really, as you said, you know, inundated with this stuff. John, I mean, first off, I want to thank you for your time, number one. Number two, if people want to learn more about what you and your company are doing, where do they find you? Where is all your, your social media? Where, where, where That's great. We're, yeah, we're publicly traded, right? Um, we've been traded on the Hong Kong exchange for years, but in 22, we became listed on the uh, NICE American, the old Amex exchange. So our symbol is GRFX, and our website is uh, Um We have a, uh, a Michigan phone number. People can call into that. But between you know GRFX, and we have you know press releases that have gone out. You know I've been uh, in a lot of different articles and whatnot. I'm on LinkedIn, um, so all of the kind of, and I think we're on Twitter as well. All of the typical, you know, the usual suspects, I would say. But GRFX on the uh, on the NICE, graphicsgroup.com, LinkedIn, Michigan phone number. We're pretty easy to find. Perfect. Awesome, John. Thank you for your time. Everyone, thanks for that. Thank you for listening to Plug In For More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, evuniverse.com. Until next time.